politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property, our civilization, and our way of life. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Wednesday midweek, back in the saddle at CR Podcast, November 16th. And folks, I am in a bad mood. I'm sorry. I was in a good mood for a while because I felt finally we had a unified sense of purpose to engage in some sort of introspection that what we're doing is not working, what we have been doing has been farcical, and we need something radically different. And I figured, hey, look, if it takes an election loss and focusing on the ballot harvesting and elections to get them to do this, then fine, even if it's not the issues. But then, you know what happened? They only focused on the ballot harvesting and how are we going to win the next presidential election and not the issues. Meaning the point is that even if you get past the ballot harvesting and get Republicans to win the election, Republicans are like Democrats. McConnell, McCarthy, and everything they represent and almost every governor and state legislative leader, they're the same thing. And Donald Trump, who is this great savior is nothing but a distraction and the same thing. So on the one hand, they're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Look at this. Look at at what's going on. And then everywhere you turn, the very same people are screwing us on the issues. McConnell looks like he's going to be reelected. McCarthy and the entire GOP leadership team swept the House elections. Nothing changes. Oh, and by the way, last night, Donald Trump announced he's running for president. Same thing. Trump, McConnell, McCarthy, that same trifecta that failed us, that, that induced this entire COVID fascism, almost everything we're suffering today, the inflation, the spending. And this is how you have this cognitive dissonance, where on the one hand, they broadly say kind of what we believe in, but then when you get to the specifics, they literally do the opposite. And even as it's playing out, they don't even focus on it. Because, again, it's all about winning elections as an end to itself. So now they're upset because they didn't win an election. And meanwhile, Republicans are going to vote to codify gay marriage. You know, by the time you hear this, they'll probably would have had the cloture motion already. And all the same leadership elections. And there is no introspection, no plan. What are we going to do with hordes invading our border? What are we going to do with the crime? What are we going to do with the grooming of an entire generation to be a bunch of androgynous freaks? What are we going to do about medical freedom? Poisoning a country with endless vaccines that you can't even get normal hospital treatment for almost any ailment now. These are vexing issues. What do you do with the FBI now literally acting like Al-Qaeda and it's going to round us up? What do you do with the Republican Party itself? I have some answers for a lot of these things, but not everything This is something we need to work out together. Still, there is no desire to even focus on this. And and every bit that we focus on Trump, it just just distracts us. You know, finally, Greg Abbott declares an invasion at the border. Oh, whoops. But then he declines to say he's going to actually deport illegals, which was the whole purpose. And by the way, we have no leverage there. That was the most important race of our lifetime, the gubernatorial primary. No one engaged. None of these conservative... Voices engaged, and Trump endorsed Greg Abbott. He could have endorsed one of the other opponents. We could have had a very different result. But time and again, you look at the issue that mattered in the way it mattered, at the time it mattered, and Trump was on the other side. So I don't want to hear this crap, oh, you're, you're for the establishment. He was with the establishment. Fun fact, the first fight he had um, of his presidency in Congress over repealing Obamacare, he sided with Paul Ryan over the Freedom Caucus. But, you know, who cares about that? Anyway, folks, one thing you can do through all this hopelessness is at least take your own destiny in your own hands. Stop allowing big tech to spy on your email. The days have passed when you could say, hey, you know, I don't believe in paying money for email. It's free. Oh, it's free, all right. If you want, uh, if, if, if you don't do anything important through email, then fine. Continue using Gmail. Otherwise... If it's financial plans, travel plans, medical records, private messages to friends, political plans, believe me, 
you don't want the government to be monitoring it. That's why I switched from spy mail to start mail. Um, at startmail.com, they have easy to use encrypted email provider that keeps my data safe. No one could read, scan, or sell my private information. And when I delete an email, I know it's gone forever. Startmail also lets me generate an unlimited disposable email addresses that you could use uh, you know, when you have to enter email addresses for different things, but obviously you don't want to give them your main email, uh, and, and it works like a charm. I don't trust big tech, and neither should you. Sign up with Startmail today, and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash conservative. That's S-T-A-R-T mail.com slash conservative. So, folks... We had the leadership elections in the House. And, you know, it's it's shocking that as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its folly. Proverbs 26.11. Nothing changes. Every time they get crushed, they return. And again, there's been a little focus from conservative media, but very little. It's been mainly on, to the extent it's been on anything, it's been on McConnell, not McCarthy. You know why. Because Trump endorsed uh, McCarthy. So again, that's another way that Trump not only didn't use his support to drain the swamp, but Trump actually made it harder for us. And I can give you a hundred different examples of this, whether it's candidates, whether it's leadership elections, whether it's issues, where until now, maybe we had even odds at fighting the establishment, but then he uses his clout with the base to support the establishment, and then we're done. And we'll go through some of that today um, before, we, uh, before we bring on our special guest. But anyway, here's the irony. Kevin McCarthy only arose in the House from a very similar circumstance, not learning the lesson. Not learning the lesson. June 10th, 2014, we had one of those stunning upsets. Uh, No-name guy, economics professor with very little money, Dave Bratt, defeated Eric Cantor for his Virginia Senate seat, uh, House seat. Now, it's very rare to defeat any incumbent in a primary, but this wasn't just any incumbent. Eric Cantor was the sitting majority leader, and he went down in flames. And that was, by the way, a year before Trump, and we were starting to assert our control over the party. And and by the way, that's a very important date for people like us that were working so hard for many years at the time to defeat the establishment. We were finally gaining momentum. And then, of course, it got sucked into something else a year later. Um, And and here we are today, backwards and, and crushed on every policy issue. I would die to go back to 2014 levels of of medicine, of of illegal immigration, of spending, of anything, of culture, you name it, um, as bad as things were at the time. So we took a little eight-year detour, and it looks like we're still going to take that detour and not discover the truth. But anyway, there were three individuals who wrote a book called Young Guns on their stupid, lethargic, corporatist view of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy, Eric Cantor, and Paul Ryan. Well, Eric Cantor was knocked off in a primary, even though he was the sitting majority leader. So what was their response? They elevated the then uh, GOP whip, McCarthy, to leader. And then a year later, when we finally got rid of Boehner, guess what? They had Paul Ryan as the speaker. This is what they do. They double down because, again, it's not a matter of one or two exceptions, one or two fringe loser Republicans. The problem with the Republican Party is the Republican Party. And unless we... We do something that totally shakes it up, that gets such a mass influx of patriots in one cycle, you're always going to be fighting a losing battle. And no one wants to sit down and recognize that. And until we do, we're never going to be able to concoct a solution. But that's ironically how McCarthy became leader. Raul Labrador, who actually just knocked off a rhino for attorney general in Idaho... He uh, challenged him, only got something like, I don't have the exact numbers, like, again, 40, 45 votes or something. That's all we ever get. And look, you know, by the way, uh, Ron DeSantis, I believe, seconded his nomination in, in the conference at the time. And he also, I think, spoke out in the media at the time, like, hey, you know, why aren't we learning our lesson? We're just going to, uh, you know, go to the next guy. I mean, it, it, Kevin McCarthy was literally 
a, a, a less intelligent version of Eric Cantor. But here we are, eight years later, 188 to 31. Now, I want to be clear. The 31 is actually, sadly, a good showing. Um, because that means that we probably have 31. Now, it doesn't mean they're hard-nosed on January 3rd, but every other leadership position we'll talk about, it's over with. They They won. McCarthy, because it would be for a speaker, he has to then uh, be elected by the whole body of the House, and he needs 218. So Republicans are only going to have, like, 221, and if you have only 188 that support him, that's actually a good sign. So I don't want to step on the good news. That is something we need to build support. But again, that would require Trump to get on board rather than distracting and all of his supporters to get on board and say, look, McCarthy doesn't have the votes, and let's build the support over the next seven, six, seven weeks or so to say, no, he's not going to be it. Now, who would be a compromise? I, I've already floated. I think Lee Zeldin, as a non-sitting member, would be a very good idea because he's probably the most conservative we could, we could get. But also, he's from New York and would command respect of the New York Republicans and some of the rhinos, so they don't rebel against it. And he's widely regarded as, as one of the biggest reasons why they're even keeping the majority because of his overperformance there. He gave up a safe seat to do that. So, hey, make Lee Zeldin the speaker. But these are the type of things that we need the top names doing this. But instead... Trump's like, oh, no, 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 I support McCarthy, so all these guys are, okay, okay, McConnell, McConnell's the problem. But again, I don't even know if we'll get rid of McConnell, we probably won't, because of course the guy challenging him is Rick Scott, who himself was part of the failed GOP Senate campaign, so gee, there's the Republican Party for you. Nothing ever changes. Again, this is the 2020 vision on politics you will not hear elsewhere. And speaking of 2020 vision... For those of you who suffer from nearsightedness, progressive glasses don't work for you, I recommend Better Spectacles, America's only conservative eyewear company. They use authentic German Rodenstock eyewear, uh, which is the gold standard in the industry, and particularly what I have, my wife has, and my oldest son, biometric intelligence glasses are big, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience, works perfectly with your brain, Gives you the sharpest vision. I feel at the top of my game every day, processing data. Um, you know, look, your brain works with your eyesight. So if you want what I have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Schedule a teleoptical appointment so you don't even have to leave your uh, your home. By the way, most doctor's offices where I am still require masks. Still not going away. Um, but I digress. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. They're offering an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted rodentstock frames. Don't fund the politically progressive companies. Go with the better progressive eyewear from America's only conservative eyewear company, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So that was Kevin McCarthy. Um, Steve Scalise didn't even have a challenger, so he was unanimously made majority leader. Okay, so now things go up from there because they were elevated because when you go from the minority to the majority, you get the speakership, so there's an extra position. So now whip opened up because Scalise was the current whip. Do you know who they elected as the whip? Tom Emmer, the chairman of the NRCC, who ran the worst House campaigns ever. The worst result ever. I could say ever. Because there's never been a time, even forgetting about Biden being a, a comatose president, literally, and, the, economy, and, and um, the radicalism has never been seen to this degree in history, but just the economy being this bad on the watch of the incumbent party and the other parties start with 212 seats, 212 seats, and you get this result. And again, even this result is only because of redistricting and reapportionment and Lee Zeldin's overperformance in New York. You take those factors out in last year's map, they actually would have net lost seats. That is astounding. Yet Tom Emmer has become the man to count the votes in the House, the House majority whip. And by the way, he was just recently signed on to a bill 
to give green cards to all of the India visa holders. So you reward big tech for selling out America and flooding nursing, accounting, computers. Americans are gerrymandered out of jobs because of India's takeover, trade theft, everything. And now they're like, yeah, there's all these guys that are kind of in limbo. They're long-term visas. They don't have green cards. So rather than saying, hey, we need to move away from those visas, no, now give them green green cards. That is Tom Emmer for you. And, and again, he is not an anomaly. That's what most Republicans think. Okay, let's go down to position number four. Conference chair. It's the one that runs the GOP conference. Well, the incumbent was Elise Stefanik. A rhino's rhino. She even voted against Trump's tax cuts, like one of only five or something. Total leftist. But unlike 90% of the rhinos kind of, you know, that fit her profile, she decided to saddle herself to Trump obsessively. But not about the agenda he supposedly stands for, but about Trump as a person. So Trump endorsed her, of course. Um, Byron Donalds, a uh, Freedom Caucus guy from Florida, ran against her, and she won 144 to 74. And I think that's a very telling vote because that's roughly, I would tell you, where the GOP conference is. 74 conservatives. So after all these years, and we actually have improved, there are more conservatives in the House than ever before. It's about a quarter of the conference. (laughs) About a quarter. And again, when I say conservative, I mean... Not 74 that are going to lay down on the tracks and fight like anything. That's really going to be only, that's more the numbers that voted against McCarthy, 31. But, you know, what you could roughly call conservative, 74. You tell me that we're going to go anywhere. And again, the House conservatives are 100 times better than, uh, you know, House Republicans than, than the Senate Republicans. So that's basically what we have. That is your House leadership team. Very, very good. And then I'm sure McConnell will get reelected later today, and we'll have him. And then for president, Donald Trump announces for president. Whoop-de-doo. I am your voice, he said. I am your voice. You know, I, I would have loved for him to be our voice. He could have been our voice with all of those people, all of those good candidates that supported him when they challenged the establishment, and he carpet-bombed them and endorse the establishment. He could have been our voice on COVID, vaccine injury. Yet he still wasn't almost, it barely even made an appearance in his speech. Last two and a half years never happened. He could have been our voice against Kevin McCarthy. But silent. Silent. And, and, and this is the weirdness. It's like, l- let me give you the embodiment of Trump's speech and the embodiment of Trump's presidency. Those of you who are with us before COVID, you remember this. You know, every time I would fight, look, Trump, here's your opportunity. Here's what you can do. We're up against the establishment, and he'd join the establishment nine out of ten times. Okay, next fight. Same thing. And, and that's what I do. It's not personal to me. I'll go on to the next thing. At any given moment, I will say, look, here is the best thing you can do. And he was a Republican president, so I said, look, Mr. President, here is the best policy you can do at the given moment. And I never gave up. But anyway, this is a quote. We're going to be asking everyone who sells drugs, who gets caught selling drugs, to receive the death penalty for their heinous acts because it's the only way. I don't even know if the American public is ready for it. This is a man who got the Republicans to support the Democrat First Step Act which let out the worst drug traffickers and gangbangers from prison that even the Chicago prosecutors are saying they now have to deal with causing problems, crime in Chicago. That was Trump's freaking baby. I was able to hold that bill off. We were able to build support because Democrats were pushing it under Obama, but we were able to hold off support. Yet once Trump became president, he put his name on it. We had no chance. So rather than being a force for good, he, again, in multiple times, whether it was an endorsement, uh, you know, an election, whether it was a policy issue, things that maybe we had even odds of holding off the left, he actually ca- carpet-bombed us. And then he'll get up there and say they need the death penalty. He actually said that like three weeks after he signed the, the First Step Act. It is so bizarre. But again, you have to – you can't be brainless. 
It's like, he fights. He calls people names. He he fights the establishment. And I always said, like, you, you have to understand what you're doing. Like, policy does matter because otherwise you get this weird outcome. And it's the same thing. He said, quote, we will immediately tackle inflation. But again, this is a man who not only signed the 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 largest budget bills in American history blowing out Obama-era spending levels, but he signed the worst and most expensive piece of legislation in history, the COVID shutdown bill, and literally maligned, viciously maligned, Thomas Massey for standing up to it and actually supported a primary challenge against Massey, endorsed. Massey, by the way, defeated the guy 80-20, but... Um, what am I supposed to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? Meaning what this tells me is nothing has changed. It's the same two-faced stuff. And I'll be honest with you, unlike the Republicans, the other Republicans that literally do play this game, and we're going to talk about with our guest, Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott plays a double game. He spends his time perfectly trying to show he's fighting the border, but really not. And he does that on every issue. And most Republicans are like that. Trump genuinely, I really don't think he gets it. He's kind of like the orange man, Fetterman. He's kind of like Fetterman, really. Like, he'll, he'll, he'll say things that are mutually exclusive, and he doesn't even realize it. What am I supposed to do, kiss up to him? What, what do you want me to tell you? I have nothing against him. I, I'm not even categorically opposed to him running for president one day. I can't even think about the presidency now. We need answers to all the questions I laid out right now, how we're going to survive until then, and what we even hope to accomplish. But if he's going to run right now, open his mouth, distract from everything, support Kevin McCarthy, and then get all of his supporters in conservative media to support Kevin McCarthy, well, then what am I supposed to do? Yeah, I'm going to comment on it. He's getting in my lane. It's just so bizarre. So freaking bizarre. But what is the answer? What is the answer? The answer is obviously we need a new party. How do we do that? And that's the big vexing question. But as I have always said, I have a plan. It's not a perfect plan. It needs development. It needs help. And nothing can be done without a unified movement. The problem we have now is that even when you get in a handful of good people here and there, it's so hard. You have to claw for it. It's so slow. And then one or two things happens. Either that person themselves gets disintegrated into the Republican Party and they turn bad on you because, you know, it's, it's like, it's like um, you have a meat stew and you have a little bit of uh, foreign matter that, I don't know, some sort of spice – uh, from another pot cooking on the stove, splashes into it. Well, you know, it will disintegrate in it. You need a critical mass to change the flavor of that pot. Or the other way happens that the guy just gets totally marginalized because the party just embarrasses him, you know, yells to the media how extreme he is, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We see that in all these elections. So the only way to change that is, and 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 I need help, is changing the laws or policies in the state Republican parties in the deep red states to go to conventions instead of popular primaries. And you're not going to win everyone, but right now we lose every primary, or almost every primary. And from governor to AG to state legislature to Senate to House to state legislature, all those people are picked by the activists at a convention. That's how you get in a critical mass in one cycle. But people that are, they're only using the party for ballot access, but they're all kind of part of our way of thinking to upend the system. And then one of two things will happen. Either the establishment guys will be so overwhelmed, they'll have to leave the party because there's nothing left for them to do. Or we'll then have enough to take that critical mass and then start a new party. Because I know a lot of you ask me, well, Daniel, you know, why do you keep 
coming up with these strategies, you know, leadership elections, this and that, if the whole party is the problem. Well, yeah, it is. And my, and, and my lighthouse at the end of that ocean, what I'm aiming for is a new party, but you can't do that in one step. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, there's multiple things we need to be doing. And, and let me tell you why. Chuck Schumer said yesterday, quote, I'm going to say to the Republicans in the Senate who are not the MAGA Republicans, stop letting them lead your party. Work with us to get things done. I intend to sit down with Mitch McConnell and express that. And today Schumer claims to have said that he and McConnell have said the future of the Republican Party is remarkably similar, meaning their view of what it should look like. That's the duopoly. That's the uniparty. Now, MAGA, again, to be clear, I, and, and some of you will be insulted by this. They don't fear Trump. I think that's very clear. They don't fear him running for president because I think they feel they're going to win a 1964-style uh, uh, win on that. And, and they're not wrong, in my view. Now, based on what they set out, I don't know if anyone could win. But I don't want to get involved in that. What they are scared of are Trump's supporters. And when I say Trump supporters, I don't just mean like those that will just follow his personality over the cliff, but who believe in broadly what he was perceived as representing and at some point spoke about, although he takes every side of every issue at some point. But, you know, the process of elimination, at some point he said the right things on most issues. That's what they're scared of. They are not scared of 90% of the Republicans. Okay, they are scared by those who will upend the system they created. And the only way to do that is to go to state conventions instead of primaries. I'll develop that more, but I'm just telling you that is the only thing that matters. It's not the presidential election. I think there is nobody in our generation that's a close second to Ron DeSantis. But I will tell you, if he runs for president and if he wins, I... I firmly believe he will try to do a much better job and be more consistent and be more conservative and do more outcomes and less talking and less turning people off uh, than Trump. And I think he's demonstrated that. But at the same time, I will tell you, if you have the same Republican Party in place, he's going to he's going to have much of the same problems. No one person could do that. What we need to talk about now is how do you force a dynamic where these people are forced out of the party. And it's a two-step thing. It's number one, not just focusing on elections, focusing on legislative matters, the issues every day in every red state. Are you going to do these bills? And we're going to be working on that. Take the best bills on the top 10 issues that matter in each legislature, and you start whipping who's with us, who's against us. Either they're going to have to do what we want, or they're going to be marked. If they're marked two years from now, but it's, it's, it's even less than two years from now because it's really primaries that you that are going to start. You know, the GOP primaries are technically could be like in a, in a year, a year and two months. You start start with that and certainly to start running. And you start focusing on those races, but change the law to have conventions. It's a different ballgame. Right now, you'll have five guys in a, in a chamber, eight guys, they get marginalized. They're extreme. Why are they extreme? Because every Democrat and two-thirds of the Republicans, including all the ones with megaphones and money and, and, and leadership, are saying that. But if you dislodge all of them through this process, that's a different, that's a different day. There's no silver bullet. But I need people thinking along these lines. It's not just what to do about Democrat mail-in ballots. It's what to do about mail-in Republicans that say one thing and do another, that spend every day plotting and scheming how to create an image that they're fighting for us while doing the exact opposite. And by the way, speaking of that, I want to get to this invasion clause business that uh, you know, Greg Abbott invoked yesterday, just to give an example. Now, first, this interview is sponsored by our friends at Birch Gold. I don't need to tell you that with these election results, it will be pedal to the metal. They won't even have to give off the veneer 
of trying to combat inflation. They'll even stop tapping the strategic petroleum reserves. Inflation is going to go way up. Hedge against that with gold. Where do you go? Where do you go? It's kind of hard. What I like about Birch Gold, and by the way, you text Daniel to 989898, is that they send you a free info kit on how to invest your retirement account in gold, your IRA, your 401k. I typically make sure I owe about 6000 at the end of tax season, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to give it to them. I'll put it in an IRA. Well, I put it in the stock market casino, which what lost a quarter of its value. The NASDAQ lost a third this year. And what are you going to do with that? Fun BlackRock, fun Vanguard, pay for the rope to hang ourselves? No, invest in something of value, uh, gold and silver. Uh, find out why Birch Gold has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, including yours truly. So check them out now. Text Daniel to 989898. Now, folks, one of the bright spots of the Trump administration, we've been talking about that, it took a long time to get illegal immigration under control, uh, but Ken Cuccinelli was brought in as Deputy DHS Secretary. He was also the USCIS Director under Trump, and, and now he is a senior fellow for the Center for Renewing America. It's run by our friend Russ Vote, and he has been working really assiduously the last year or so on trying to get Texas and Arizona to take sovereignty into their hands, invoke the invasion clause, and deal with the invasion at the border because it's not only the fact that the feds aren't doing anything, they're actually complicit in the smuggling operation. They're, they're doing it. They're working with the cartels. This is all we have. Um, Arizona was devastating, devastating on that issue in terms of the election results. It is what it is at this point. Um, as, as we continue to have this national discussion over uh, our elections themselves and the and the ballot harvesting, but what do we do about about this issue with the hand we're dealt? And also, what's with Greg Abbott's announcement? What's good? What's bad? Is it what it appears? Well, with us is Ken on the line. Ken, thanks so much for joining us. It's been way too long. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be with you. You know, it's it's eerie. Uh, the last time I had you on. Life was very different. You were deputy DHS secretary at the time, and I remember you you, you saying that you know typically they would convert um, the USCIS into being all about immigrants, all about you know benefits, and you're like, no, we're going to use that for enforcement as well. Well, now we've come full circle that even ICE, which is the enforcement agency, is being marshaled into giving benefits, giving social security cards. In fact, a bunch of Haitians have a lawsuit to get in front of the line to see a nice agent so they can get ahead of it. We are really in big trouble on this, aren't we? It is pretty messy. Yes. It's, um, they have, um, done everything they can to set ice up and CBP up so they cannot achieve their missions. This is very intentional. Usually when you're in charge of something, you try to figure out how to run it better. They're literally intentionally trying to run it worse because they don't want them to achieve their missions. Um, they want ICE and CBP to fail and to just have an open border, et cetera. The one thing they want them to do is to get to illegals, like you mentioned, the Social Security cards and that sort of thing. So this Completely leads it to the states. Bass-ackwards. Bass <laughs> yep. So this leaves, leaves it to the states. And obviously, we now only have one border state that's going to even be in Republican hands. So my heart leapt when I saw the announcement from Greg Abbott yesterday, the governor of Texas, that he's finally going to invoke Article 1, Section 8, the invasion clause, that if a state is invaded, um, you know, typically they cannot engage in military operations, can't raise an army, but they can repel an invasion. So I was like, wow, they're going to repel the invasion. And a lot of people are talking about this, very happy about it. Could you explain to the audience what, in fact, he is and is not doing? So what he did yesterday was issue a press release. And, oh, and a Twitter post. Don't forget the Twitter post. And that's about it. Um, he 
if you read it, you see he pointed back. All he was essentially doing was recycling his July executive order. He was just reminding you that he issued an executive order in July. Well, what has he done since July? Um, you know, it is true when he says Texas has done more than any other state, but that's just a little bit more than zero. Um, <laughs> what has happened? Here's the measure. What has happened to the flow of illegals entering Texas since the beginning of Operation Lone Star? The answer is it has skyrocketed along with Arizona, New Mexico, and California. There's yep. no difference. Well, why is there no difference? Because until you return people back into Mexico and they know you will do it, then the numbers will not go down. And they hate that reality, but that is the reality. We learned that at DHS. I said this along with a few other experts at the beginning of Lo Operation Lone Star. Um, it's been one long 18-month, $3 billion um, set of photo ops for Governor Abbott. $3 billion set of photo ops. So, you know, when I was looking at the order yesterday, okay, I I was trying to find what, yeah, what is new? That was going to be my next question. Like, what's new from the previous order? So you're saying there's nothing new other than calling it an invasion, but the entire purpose of calling it an invasion was to then say, well, you have to stop the invaders, right? Um, you don't have an invasion and then not return the invaders. Well, but he, interestingly, I mean, he notes correctly that he referenced Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, Authority. That's the invasion authority for yes, states. Yes, se Section 10. I, I was wrong invasion, there, Section 10. The invasion obligation for the federal government is in the Guarantee Clause of Article 4, Section 4. That's where the federal government promises all 50 states will protect you against invasion. Of course, they're not doing that. It's quite the opposite. But the founders were smart enough to leave the states the ability to defend themselves. And I say leave them. The states made the federal government, not the other way around. They reserved to themselves the ability to defend themselves. And James Madison, short little guy from Virginia, not very healthy, but he wrote the Constitution. He wrote Article 1. In the Virginia Ratification Convention of June of 1788, the example he used was smugglers into Virginia. Not an army from a nation state. Smugglers. Mm. Well, what are we, who's running the border today? Smugglers. Um, this lands right within the boundaries that James Madison drew up. And um, uh, it, it says in the very end of Article 1, for folks listening and that go read it, and I would urge you to do that, it says, among other things, it lists things states can't do. This is called the Compacts Clause. And it's called the Compacts Clause because you can't enter into agreements with foreign countries. So Texas can't enter into a treaty with China. Um, we all know that without congressional permission. And they can't wage war, also listed there. But under wage war, there's an exception. It yep. says, unless you're actually invaded. Well, Greg Abbott has said in an executive order, we are invaded. He has acknowledged that Texas is invaded. That is a statement of the obvious now, but I'll... I'll grant him that. He has done that. But to your point, Daniel, it doesn't matter if you don't use the, the authority you have under the Constitution, yes. not some statute. This is in the Constitution. Um, and this is not immigration law. It's not public health law like Title 42. It's not immigration law. This is a constitutional power. It's a different source of legal authority, and that's very important. Because the Supreme Court said in Arizona v. U.S. 10 years ago, states don't have the right to undertake immigration enforcement. This is not immigration enforcement. This is a war power. Now, this doesn't mean that we're suggesting that Greg Abbott should roll tanks into Mexico and bomb bridges. Um, you although, need, although the you constitutional need, authority would theoretically give him authority to take the Texas Guard and kind of, you know, shoot at the cartels and blow up their assets, but we're not even talking about that. We're yeah. just saying just kind of yeah, move, the, move them over. Yes, this is a defensive war power authority, but even defending a border, you can defend forward. You can send drones in to look at where the illegals are coming. You can, you know, you – and. To, to, in, a, in a shooting war, we're not talking about a shooting war, but in a shooting war, 
even to defend your own boundary. Look at what the Israelis have done all these years. They'll strike first and they'll strike into the other side's territory as a way to defend their own border. Um, again, we're not talking about a shooting war. What this looks like in real life, we can already see because it looks just like the federal implementation of the public health order, which people have heard called Title 42, that's the part of the U.S. code it's in, where we're just meeting people in between ports of entry. And even under the Biden administration, over half the people that have crossed between ports of entry illegally have been turned immediately around and put back into Mexico. Over half. You'd never know that, given the incredible numbers they're already letting in. Yep. Um, but they're also keeping huge numbers out. And um, that's because of the Title 42 authority. Well, there's been no violence around the use of Title 42 authority. Um, and literally millions of people crossing the border have been turned back around. And that's all that it looks like operationally. You don't need to new build new facilities. You don't need um, – it's very – light on infrastructure requirements. It's really about manpower yep. and transportation. That's the logistical challenge and knowing where they're coming. And Texas has very good intel on that. And already. as far as manpower, I'm sure if the legislature wanted to work on this, uh, they're coming back into and session and volunteer. I'm sure a lot of Texans would volunteer if they knew that the governor would have staying power behind this, put staying power behind it, that you're going to defend your own state where the federal government is complicit in this. We're going to move them back. I'm sure you could beef up that state guard um, that can't get federalized, by the way. Well, not uh, only that, other governors, Ron DeSantis has said, if any border governor will defend the border, I will send you people to help you do it. Yes. Uh, you know, unlike and, and so did Governor Ricketts in Nebraska, Governor Nome in South Dakota. I mean, and, and the list goes on. Lots of them would help. But you and need a border state governor willing to do it. That's right. And now that we that's don't have Kerry right. Lake, I mean, this is a big and I thought with Kerry Lake, you know, presumably losing kind of um, that this announcement was time to, to show that, look, I mean, this is the last great hope and we're going to do this. And then I see it comes up short. So that's not just an omission that that is making a statement. So my question to you is why, why the reluctance? I mean, it, despite the election turning out bad, I mean, the polling still is clear that nobody likes this and nobody wants this to continue. Um, I, I can't imagine he'd be politically punished for doing this. Why the reluctance? <laughs> Weakness. I mean, it's hard. It's uh, meaning it's politically hard. It's not logistically hard. I will say this. It's, it is a lot logistically tougher for Texas than Arizona because you have to cross a river. Mm. And um, the international boundary is in the middle of the river. So it's not like you take them to the boundary and drop them off. We're not, we're not going to drop people in the river. You have to enter Mexico technically to return them. And this is really important in Arizona. You didn't have to do that. You literally just take them to the border and push them across mm. there. You're in Mexico, stay there. And that is, so you need boats. You need to keep people safe in that transport. And it's just, you know, it's a lot more logistically challenging. You essentially have to set up a whole series of ferry systems all up and down 1,200 miles of the Rio Grande. But they have the assets to do that. And other states are willing to contribute assets to do that as well. So, you know, this is still a very real possibility. And I want to make another point. There's going to be an effort um, in the Texas legislature to create their own Title 42 statute, which is also a good idea. Now, you and I both probably think the notion of a continuing COVID emergency is silly, but yeah. what I've suggested to them is that they give Joe Biden the keys to the kingdom. As long as the federal government says there's any reason or gives any warning or doesn't let you do anything anywhere in America because of COVID, then it's enough of an emergency that we're not going to let people <laughs> cross our southern border for public health reasons. And um, you think of their lawyer in court as they come in and argue, you can't do that. Well, 
counsel, you all are doing it. Why can't they do it? Um, because public health authority is one of the most firmly accepted police powers of states. But, but there's no but, way we won't end up with an Arizona v. U.S. ending. I, but, I understand wait, what you're finish. saying one with that. Thing. One more thing. Let yeah, me sure. finish. One more thing. Public health authority doesn't give you the clear forward stepping authority to cross that river and enter Mexican territory sure. that the invasion authority does. So I understand that, Big but difference. just as you're talking, it, 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 it crossed my mind. This whole public health thing started how? 15 days to flatten the curve because we could basically yeah, yeah. control your body, control your there. mouth, your nose, and kill you and do anything we want, <laughs> inject poison in you because to, to, to not um, burden the hospitals. So what's very clear is anyone you talk to at the border, and especially with a bad flu season, actually is a bad flu season, RSV season, and this has been going on for many years, before long before COVID, they do flood the border hospitals, Yuma, Del Rio, Eagle yeah. Pass. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so I'm just yep. saying that alone, should Texas should be able to, if, if Greg Abbott was able to set up checkpoints for people from Louisiana not to come in, which he did in March 2020, by the way, uh, so certainly, As I mean- other you, governors. Yeah. Democrat governors in the Northeast were blocking their own highways. And they were and their authority to do that was not seriously disputed. No. But somehow for foreign nationals, you know, you, we, they, they could easily <laughs> okay. say you're going to flood our hospitals or the border hospitals. They're small hospitals. This is a known big yeah. problem. Um, so I, I want to take this a step further. So not only do we have to deal with the Biden administration um, doing their thing and, and Greg Abbott kind of playing games. And then i Carrie Lake is not even going to be there, but then you have the judges. So not only don't they force him to enforce the law written by Congress, they say you're not allowed to. So what happened with this federal judge in the DC district saying that they can't use title 42? What are we going to do with that? Well, um, I fully expect that to get, stayed on appeal and appealed. And um, I, uh, I find it unlikely that that ruling by one judge is going to hold up. I just don't think it's going to hold up. And while early on, I might have understood something like this, but and of course, the reason they're in DC is because they don't want to be in the Fifth Circuit. Um, one of the things that I tried to do in the Trump administration and I was not allowed to do it is when I had conflicting court rulings, which this is a conflicting court ruling um, to quarantine. So a judge like this says, you can't do it anywhere in the country. Well, my executive response would be, well, you don't get to overrule other courts over which you don't have yep. jurisdiction. So we'll obey your order, but only in your court's jurisdiction. Which is the District of um, Columbia. Of course, which is the District of Columbia. Yeah, now obviously in this administration, they're all too happy to have have that, you know, ACLU lawsuit, you know, yes. so-called to the left yes. of the administration, but but it's kind of a one-two step there. They like it. So, so we're yeah. kind of left with very minimal options. And one thing historically that has always worked was cutting off magnets. I mean, if you make it clear, you know, the problem always was it wasn't so much a border wall or whatever. It's that... We invited them. I mean, at the end of the day, we give them jobs. We, you know, yep. you have Plyler v. Doe, uh, you have the the K through twelve. You have all the bennies. So you cut off the bennies; they don't come. What are some things you think states can and should be doing, um, even if they can't handle the logistical well, deportation sure aspect? State tuition. I mean, it's the opposite. It's taking away every benefit that is is there. Don't give them driver's licenses. Don't give them work permits. Um, not work permits, but when I say work permits, I don't mean immigration work permits. I mean like a business license. Um, don't, don't assist this whole process. And, um, you're, you name some cases where attempts in the past have failed at this, but those are emergency. Those are education, um, and, uh, especially where states, unlike the federal government, they don't print money, right? <laughs> they actually have to stay within the boundaries of their budgets. 
And I was a state legislator. Frankly, I was very proud of the fact that we had to balance our budget. And they play their own little games a little bit. But um, but the reality is there's only so far out of line you can get. And do you really want to be spending that limited money on illegals? Now, if you're if you're Governor Newsom, you do, because it, it's a nearly unlimited font of money for you to politically virtue signal with. But um, but most people don't want to see that happening. And it is notoriously not helpful to candidates in elections when when they're accountable for that. It's a negative. Does it mean a whole elections turn just on that thing? No, not necessarily. But they don't help anybody. You know, one thing I was thinking of in terms of states combating uh, illegal immigration, and this is not so much a uh, logistical mechanism, but but it is an information warfare. And I know when you are at DHS, you are at the head of this, really trying to educate the public on just how much of the shocking violent crime is committed by illegal aliens. A lot of these very terrible stories you hear, rapes, murders, it really is more than yeah. people think. And we've been trying all these clever ways to to quantify that. Shouldn't it not be too hard for every red state to every either every week or maybe every month publish kind of some sort of synopsis of you know data and maybe some stories on illegal alien crime yeah. this is actually something Texas does very well um, they do report this data pretty quickly because they want people to know about it um, openness on uh, but you know now three of our four border states are run by Democrat governors or will be shortly. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if um, Hobbs just takes down those shipping containers. <laughs> what is she going to do there? Um, and uh, we'll see. We will see. But so um, it, 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 you still need cooperation to do that. That is one of the things we suggest at Center for New America, the legislatures do, is set up mandatory internal reporting requirements so people know what's going on. Yep, yep. And, and, and I think generally the pre-election pollings showed Republicans with a net plus 38 uh, swing over the Democrats on the immigration issue. But I wanted to get your take on, you know, someone who followed Arizona closely – I don't know how to de- how, how, what to think about this. That I just found out Arizona voters approved in-state tuition. Probably looks like fifty-one to forty-nine, close, but they approved it. I mean, what's up with that? Well, um, the other ballot measure there was a voter ID thing, which has pulled off the charts with everybody, everywhere, forever. That outcome is the most suspicious looking outcome to me statistically anywhere in the country. And it's really hand in glove on the numbers with the illegal immigration tuition. Wait, that was also 5149. Yeah. Yep. You know, even in blue States, it pulled well. I, I just, I, I look, you know, elections are elections and polls are polls, but I've never in my lifetime seen a dynamic where not just on the candidate polling, but on the issue polling, the fundamentals polling, where it turns out the exact opposite of everything that was polled the entire election season. I just I just I still don't get it. No explanation I'm hearing makes sense. So this outcome, with the exception of like Georgia and Florida, um, and I think there's explanations for that is happening all over the place. And I, I saw locally where I worked for a great candidate, Yesley Vega, who barely lost from unseating an incumbent um, where, you know, we had tremendous rallies. We had lots of enthusiasm and, and the other side was like 50 people would show up. You know what I think it was we have, and by the way, we have 45 days of voting in Virginia. So I think their folks weren't going to rallies. Their <laughs> folks all over the country were literally going to doors and, and hauling out their favorable voters. And the turnout was fairly low in this election. And we needed it to be higher. And, um, and I, I think that was a huge part of this. I will also say that where you can't, where you, like the Nevada race, 
the Nevada Senate race, I think, was lost. It's a little early, but I think it was lost on legal ballot harvesting. Yes. Yes. I think Laxalt was winning until a couple of days, the weekend before the election, and both sides could see that. And Nevada is such a hugely thick union state. They can literally call up thousands of union um, workers to go do ballot harvesting. And they just they knew who hadn't voted. And of those as a candidate, I, I know many of the ones in a list of people who haven't voted who I know will support me. So I go to those houses and I ballot harvest, which just means they fill out their ballot and I take it in. But because that's legal in Nevada, they collected the thousands of votes they needed to overcome Adam Laxalt's lead. They know the number they need and they seem to get it every time. I mean, and that's that's the lesson. Well, wait till they start doing it with illegal aliens and <laughs> they'll really have super majorities um, this is this is grim times, but thanks for keeping watch over this important issue. Um, definitely keep us updated as this develops. Texas is the last great hope, and we can't lose it. Thanks so much, Ken, for joining us today. Always good to be with you. Thanks for paying so much attention to these critical issues. So, folks, this is how it's going to be. At a time when we need a five, the Republicans are at a two. When we need a ten, they're at a five. And you know, Greg Abbott stepped up a couple of things, but I like how he said it's a $3 billion photo op. And nothing short of deportations will work. But you need a border governor to do it. We thought we'd have Arizona. Now you only have Texas. But remember, we're stuck with Greg Abbott. I hate to say it because of one particular man. Um, He could have been a force for good. We could have had the Alabama governor in our pocket. But, you know, Trump endorsed the rhino there. We had several other opportunities in deep red states. How much longer are we going to continue with this? And by the way, as I'm talking, came in the motion to delay the Senate GOP conference elections have fa- has failed. Only 16 voted to delay. Doesn't even mean 16 opposed McConnell, but only 16 were even willing, 16 out of the 50 were willing to vote to just delay the election. And this is what I mean. You, you, you can't have this sort of subversiveness. It's not a matter of a few people. It's the majority of elected Republicans in any given area, position, or state literally do not share our values, and they spend their time fooling us. I mean, did you th- th- think about this. Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania. Okay, I mean... He wasn't regarded as like a Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins. And in fact, he was the original one, one of the first kind of like conservative versus establishment matchups when he he ran against Arlen Specter, what is it, over 20 years ago. I remember it like it's yesterday. That's how quickly he turned. He said he, he, he literally said he did not vote for Doug Mastriano. And my point is, Either you need state conventions or you need to say you're going to do the same thing to the other side. You're not going to vote for their candidates and you'll run independent candidates. But our side, no, 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 the Democrats will win. So this is the one-sided war. It's a one-sided war. The establishment will get their outcomes every time. And we're just, I don't, I care about the Democrats. Uh, At some point, we need to... Move, be, move our imagination beyond what we have. That's the reality. And then we haven't, we haven't talked about um, COVID for a while, but there's so much information on it killing people. You know, cancer treatment places and radiology and everything is flooded now everywhere you go because of this. There is no close second to the COVID vaccines as a pro-life issue. And it's not even mentioned. Even Australia came out. Australia said that they're, they're basically going to stop with the shots for the under 30s. In the United States, aside from Florida, no other Republican state has done it. And to my knowledge, I can't find another Republican, except for Ron Johnson, calling for it. It, it doesn't even exist.
So again, it's not even like they've changed. Trump didn't change the party. The only thing he changed is he made the establishment great again. He made it cool again. He put his stamp of approval. He put the kind of activist MAGA stamp on a lot of their garbage candidates, garbage policies. It hasn't changed. Think bigger. Bigger. And again, it's not just run DeSantis for president. We could cross that bridge when we get there. It's that entire approach of the next general election president thing. Who are we going to nominate? It's so much deeper than that. You're going to war with a party that's analogous to, let's say, a gun or a rifle where the bullet comes out the opposite side every time you fire it. Well, you know, I could say this strategy, that strategy, how do I beat the other army? Well, you can't do anything until you get guns that actually work. And don't turn on you. So we're going to continue talking about the issues that matter, the strategies that matter, the states that matter, the offices that matter, while everyone else will continue with the soap opera. But it is what it is. If we want to grow the movement, we got to grow the show. I ask that you send this show to everyone you know that is open-minded, that is looking for something new, that is not a hack for an individual or a party, truly independent conservative talk. Let me know your ideas, what you what you feel we need to focus on. I mean, we didn't even get to Ukraine today. Oh, my gosh. How Ukraine fired a missile at Poland then blamed it on Russia to drag us into World War III. And to this day, Republicans still don't realize that they were, they were, they were totally fooled on this issue. Fundamental issue that caused so much of this. They all fell in with it, including a lot of the Freedom Caucus. But before I get too depressed, well, I'll just have to sew it up today. Folks... Send me your comments, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Elon Musk still has not reinstated me on Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.